What is up, guys? Welcome to the Tony and Dakota podcast. Today, we got a virtual guest, and Tony and I are not in the same room together. So Tony's going to introduce our guest, though. Yeah, Dakota's down in Florida. He just got his Florida house. He's a snowbird now, so he's trying out some new audio. We're working through all the the little intricacies of it. Uh, this is Sherrod. Uh, let me make sure I get your last name right. Is it Meta? Yeah, that's perfect, man. Sherrod Meta. He is the founder of RE Simply. So if you guys have seen all of those ads in our podcast, if you watch our podcast regularly, you see that advertisement almost every single time. And it is our favorite CRM because it's the most intuitive. It's the most natural to use. It's just I mean, simply is in the name, but it is pretty simple. It gives you everything that you need from a real estate investing CRM. So it's our favorite CRM because of how easy it is to use and how many functions it's got. And Sherrod's uh, open to improving it too. So you can reach out That's to amazing. him and his team and he's been improving it. He's also a real estate investor. And I was looking at you know, I have some of this like FBI quality uh, skip tracing stuff. And so I was looking into Sherrod oh, no. and he's got quite a few holding companies. He's got quite a few properties. He's got some flipping and stuff like that, wholesaling, that sort of thing going on. And it, I mean, Sherrod is everywhere too. He lives in California uh, near the San Diego area, but he invests everywhere. I know that he's also invested in Indiana just like us. So this is Sherrod Meta. Thanks for coming on, Sherrod. Thank you, man. Hey, I need to have that introduction sent over to me. I'm going to keep playing that for my wife all the time. And it's like, <laughs> hey, I'm not such a bad person. Yeah. <laughs> she should hear Tony and Dakota, what they have to say. Yeah. No, thank you, man. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. I, I need to find about that FBI skip tracing thing that you have going on. Yeah, I thought I hid my properties in all these different land trusts and whatnot, but uh, yeah, cool, man. Yeah, no, I'm excited about this, uh, the podcast. Awesome. So uh, I noticed I was looking through your LinkedIn. I was looking at some of the the education that you had and that sort of thing. It looked like you got a degree in accounting and then you kind of started off in some financial development, got into being a tax accountant type yeah. uh, business uh, yes. advice. And then you became a CEO. Well, it looked like your company, specifically the real estate investing company. So yeah. when it comes to that line of work, that objective thinking, you know, where you're constantly making rational and um, the decisions that make sense, uh, how do you think that that's helped you in the real estate investing business? How do you think that that's helped you decide to start a CRM company? Yeah, man. Great, great question. I've never been asked that question. That's a fantastic question. I think it's the, my accounting background. Now that I look at kind of everything I've done with Simply, and we're launching another product um, next year. It's, it's interesting, like how that accounting background has had a big influence in what I've done. Like if you look at Simply. Uh, you cannot help but kind of see it's so KPI driven, you know, and like the, like you cannot use ReSimply and not get value out of uh, the KPI part of it. So the the way I like to think of it is like we started with, okay, what is the data that we wanted to have at the end? And I think that comes from the accounting background, looking at the numbers. And another thing that influenced was the fact I used to live in Chicago. That's why started investing in Indiana. So I invested in Northwest Indiana, right outside of Chicago. And when I moved to Carlsbad, uh, San Diego area where I live now, the my thought process was, okay, I'm living four hour flight away from where I invest. How do I make sure I make the best decisions? It's not based on what people are telling me. It's based on what numbers are telling me. You know, people are going to make up stuff Numbers are not going to make up stuff, right? Two plus two will always be four. It will never be three. It will never be five. It will always be four. So that was kind of the thought process going into developing recently was, hey, I want to have something that tells me exactly what's going on in my business. You know, of course, I want to get feedback from my team members. But at the end of the day, I want to make decisions based on the numbers. So I think that 
going back to kind of what you asked comes from my education and my, you know, the career, corporate career before going, you know, investing and starting recently. Have you been thinking about investing in real estate? It's not like what you see on HGTV. We created a course to show you how to really invest and create a profitable flipping and wholesaling business. We show you where to find the money, how to find the deals, and how to negotiate the deals. We go over live sales calls, including negotiations, scripts, role playing, and so much more. Everything that you need to know to flip houses is in this course. And if there's a video that we didn't make that you want, we'll make it for you. This knowledge has made us well over a million dollars and it's available right now for $9.97. Click the link below, buy the course. Before we get too far into the KPIs in the business, because I know we're definitely going to head that direction. Do you see yourself, uh, do you see the drawbacks to that part of you because you're so objective, numbers driven, rational, that sort of thing? Do you feel like it takes away from your intimate relationship like you just jokingly said like, hey, my wife won't think I'm such a bad person if she listens to your intro. <laughs> do you see Do you see an issue with balance in your life where you're so good at what you do and knowing how to uh, hack things and rationalize them and make them work that you feel like you suffer in like the, say the feelings department, you're really good at thinking, are you as good at intuition and feeling and, and uh, being a good partner and that sort of thing? I, I think so. I mean, you know, like there's always going to be like life. It's always going to be work in progress, right? It's never going to be just looking at, you know, anything. It's never going to be like perfect, right? The Whether it's a CRM or any relationship, right? There's always going to be room for improvement. The thing that you have to keep in mind, which I do in my personal and business life, is always making sure I'm getting feedback, right? Always making sure I'm getting feedback, but I'm not going and making assumptions that, hey, this thing is going absolutely perfect. Just going back to like recently, we're very, very open to getting feedback. You know, we always make sure we're reaching out to our users. You know, as you guys have noticed, I'm uh, sure you've noticed that we always make sure we reach out to our users and then, hey, what else can we do? Because at this point, recently is way beyond my business needs. Like a lot of the stuff we're developing, I personally don't need use it in my business because, you know, like the initial first couple of years served my business need. It's grown beyond that. So for me, to make sure we keep developing the right things, we reach out to active investors like you guys. Say, hey, what else could we be doing? You know, same thing on their personal life. Like the only way to improve that is asking my wife. You know, I mean, I ask her once a week, uh, hey, on a scale of one to 10, how would you rate our relationship? You know, if it's anything less than 10, what could I do to get a 10? So, you know, that's that's the feedback that I want to keep getting. The same thing we do on recently, asking our users, you know, even internally with our team members, uh, we have dozens of team members in CS team. Uh, the head of our CS department, Ted, he has to ask, meet one-on-one -on -one with every single team member that we have in the Philippines and ask them how would we rate their experience working with the recent on a scale of one to 10. One being, or 10 being absolutely happy, best job in the world. One being, hey, you're going to be getting my two-week notice tomorrow. You know, So we ask them because we want to find out if they're happy, that's the only way they're going to make our users happy. So it's like, you know, a never ending feedback loop that you want to keep making sure you keep getting every single week or, you know, on a regular basis. It's funny because we, we just did uh, something very similar to that actually in our business. We, uh, the COO went out and then asked everybody for feedback. So yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, I think that Tony knew that I wanted to ask about the KPIs. <laughs> so he's like, all right, let's make sure we get this question first. So what KPIs uh, cause like, obviously Ari simply, man, like it's got a lot, right? There's right. a lot of KPIs. There's a lot of different things to track. You have, in my opinion, like almost an overload of tracking, which is a great thing. What KPIs do you say? Like, let's say you have the top 10, right? So let's just say, what are the main ones that you're tracking? And let's say a rental wholesale or just overall real estate business. What KPIs are you looking at more than any of the rest? Uh, I would say like. You know, when you think of real estate investing business, um, when you guys look at your business, like generally for most investors, their biggest expense on their PL would be marketing. You know, marketing payroll between those two, generally, right? Marketing tends to be the biggest payroll for most companies you would see. You know, they're spending anywhere from, you know, 
20 to 30, 40% off their revenue in marketing. So when you look at the KPIs, if you can take that one number, your marketing number, and you, you can make it more efficient. So let's say if you're spending 40% off your, so you, let's say you have seven figure revenue, million dollars, you're spending 400,000 on that to get to that million dollar. If you can somehow keep that revenue million dollars and instead of spending 400,000, you only have to spend 300,000, the entire $100,000 saving goes into your pocket. That's your net revenue that goes up. It'll actually be more because you'll be able to cut other expenses because now you're being more efficient with your marketing. So you may not need as many people on your team, but let's just say at a minimum, you get that. So for me, you know, some of the, the most important number that I would want to look at is my ROI, right? For every dollar that I'm spending in marketing, how much money am I making in my business? I would say that's the, the most important one that I would want to look at. And then you would want to look at, you know, other numbers also. So let's say if your ROI from, you know, let's say Facebook ads is 50, right? You're like, oh, this is amazing. But how many leads are you getting? How many deals are you getting out? If you're only getting one deal a year, do you really want to invest into that versus, you know, your ROI from direct mail might be, let's say eight, you know, for every dollar that you put into it, you're getting $8 back into it. That's the one, but you're consistently getting deals out of it, consistent getting, you know, four to five deals out of it. That's the one I would want to drill down more into it and see, okay, what else can I do to grow my, you know, revenue from direct mail? You know, am I spending enough? You know, could I spend more money into it? And the other marketing channels that you have where your ROI is less than, let's say, less than three, I would look into it and see, does it make sense for me to keep doing it? You know, if I have limited marketing budget, should does it make sense for me to put more money into direct mail and take money away from, let's say, you know, cold calling, for example, you know, that has ROI of two to three. Um, that does it make sense for me to take money away from cold calling, put it into direct mail, which is giving me 8x on my money. So those are the numbers I would look at, your ROI and how many deals you're getting out of it, and then start tweaking those numbers. Because if you can start tweaking that, I mean, all of that money is going directly into your net profit. Everything is going into your net profit. And then that's where you can really start adding efficiency. So th those would be the like the most important ones I would look at. And then, you know, as your business scales, you know, as you're getting more advanced, then I would start looking at the conversion KPI. You know, there's a little bit more advanced KPIs. They're all in simply, but the more advanced would be, okay, how many leads do I need to go get an appointment? How many leads before I get an offer? How many offers do I need to make before I get a property under contract? Those are a little bit more advanced KPIs that you would want to start looking into. But at a fundamental level, you know, your ROI, is one thing, how many deals you're getting, like your cost per lead, cost per deals would be like the fundamental ones that you should really know. Hmm. How, uh, how did you end up in like the CRM space in general? Like, were you an investor and you're like, man, I really need a CRM? Or were you like creating a CRM, then you saw that you're doing it for investors. And so you're like, oh, let me go do what they're doing. Are you letting deals fall through the cracks because you don't have good systems in place? We've been there before, and honestly, we've tried several different CRMs, and RE Simply has been the absolute best. RE Simply tracks your KPIs, does automatic follow-ups for you, and even records incoming phone calls. The system is very easy to use, and honestly, it has more features than we even know what to do with. If you're looking for a great CRM, try RE Simply today. Click the link in the description below. Check it out now. No, so I used to live in Chicago uh, until August 2015. And then August 2015, you know, we moved to San Diego area for my wife's job. I don't think if I were had continued living in Chicago, I don't think I would have ever started a company because I was running such an inefficient business living in Chicago, being so close to Indiana. I had such an inefficient business where I didn't even see a need for, uh, for a CRM. And also, you know, it was also... Um, a factor of the fact that I was doing mostly buying properties from MLS. So just around that time, I started doing direct-to-seller marketing. So it just happened that I moved to San Diego area. I'm doing more direct-to-seller marketing. And I'm like, okay, I need to, I was doing about 40, 50 flips a year. Like, okay, I need to look at something to manage my business, you know, manage my direct-to-seller marketing, manage my numbers, manage my team members. So I started looking at what was available in the market, like what mostly people were using. It was like pretty much Podio was like the main software everyone's. I, I just didn't like the the way it looked. I just didn't like the idea of 
hey, I would go get Podio, but then I would have to get all these different things. You know, uh, I just didn't like the idea of it. It didn't make any sense. It's like me going to a restaurant and then getting my food from one place, then going to another restaurant, getting my drink, and then going to third restaurant, getting my, you know, entree from that and then bringing it on. It, it just, it, it didn't like, I like to think in very simple terms. It just didn't make sense to me. So I'm like, okay, you know what? I'm going to hire a couple of developers, make something very specific for my business. Um, and then that's kind of where it started from. But the the goal, the vision from day one was everyone on my team had to be on that platform. Like that was the vision that everyone on my team should be on that platform. We shouldn't have to need anything. And literally we don't use anything else in our business, nothing. We don't pay for any other subscription. Everything we're doing is all from within recently now. So, so yeah, that was the kind of the the idea, uh, you know, with the, the vision and yeah, started with the CRM. I didn't honestly, I didn't even know what CRM was. Like that's how naive. <laughs> I have no idea what CRM was. Uh, it's just I just needed. I just understood. Okay, this is what I need in my business to solve the problem that I have. The thought process: if it doesn't add value to anybody else, but if it helps me get a couple of more deals, helps me make up, you know, forty fifty thousand dollars extra, totally worth it. Yeah. So you were you were in college, you got out of college, you started a, uh, getting a few different jobs, that sort of thing. Was there anything that pushed you into real estate? Was it something that you were always told growing up? How what influenced you? Like why real estate? Why did you decide to go the direction of being a real estate investor? Yeah, man, great question. It was honestly freedom of time and money. That was that was the goal, freedom of time and money. I wanted to be able to do things that I'd really enjoy doing, you know, and not be tied to a job. I was making good money. I think I left my job in 2010 or 11. Yeah, 2011, March 2011. I was making about $75,000. I was up for a promotion. I was up for a bonus, you know, when I left my job. But for me, it was freedom of time and money. Like real estate just happened to be what I came across. But before that, I wanted to be a full-time poker player. Uh, I thought that would be super cool you know i wanted to play world series of poker but i just i suck at poker i'm just horrible i'm horrible at poker uh just and then i started investing in stocks and bonds uh i don't think i have the temperament for that i'll just like keep refreshing my browser hey did my stock go up um and then like real estate kind of seemed like more my pace you know it's like you get rich it doesn't happen overnight but it will happen eventually. It will happen. It's just a matter of time if you do the right things. With real estate, I felt like I controlled my destiny, unlike poker or stocks and bonds. Right? Real estate, I feel like, okay, I was in control of my financial future and it's not going to happen overnight. I'm okay. I'm a patient person. It, I am not in any like quick, hey, I want to be like millionaire by tomorrow. So I was cool with that. And you know, it's been, uh, that's kind of what led me down the real estate path. And so tell us about your portfolio too, because I did not, I did not realize that you did a lot of flips. I thought you mostly had rentals. Like what is, what is your, what is your like portfolio look like now? You're doing like a certain amount of flips, certain amount of rentals, stuff like that. What does it look like today? Yeah. So I have about 50 rental property, 50 rental doors and 45 of them are paid for free and clear. That was also very intentional decision from the beginning that I wanted to have a very free and clear portfolio. The the five units that I have loans on, it's about like $50,000 worth of loans. It's not much, um, but it's at like 5%. So I'm just keeping it, you know, um, not in any rush to pay that off. But it was, I was very intentional. Like when I started investing, you know, this was like back when 2008, 9, 10, like the whole real estate market collapsed. And when you look at kind of what was the reason, it was because people were over leveraged. So that's kind of my thought process. Hey, this disaster happened because people took too, too much loan on their properties. So I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to be very conservative. I'm going to have enough portfolio where I can just have financial freedom for myself. And, you know, I could, I understand like being an accounting background numbers, I could get loans on these properties instead of 50 units. I could have 150 to 200 units, but that's not what my goal is. I'm just happy having 50 units, having free and clear cash flow coming in. Uh, so that's kind of what I started. And then I started 
flipping properties. So right now, what we do now is about 20, 25 flips. I'm not much involved. I spend maybe 30 minutes to an hour in my business actively per week. Uh, that's But my other team members manage that we do about 20, 25 flips a year. And then the cash flow that I get from that, you know, I use in like, you know, either buying other rental properties or other uh, investments. Pulling data lists like vacant houses, mortgage foreclosures, and tax delinquent properties is important to direct to seller marketing. Batch Leads is the main platform where we store our sellers' data and skip trace owners for their phone numbers, emails, and addresses. On other platforms, you end up having to pay twice for the same contact if you've already skip traced it. My favorite thing about Batch Leads is that if you skip traced a contact once, you never have to pay for that contact again. Batch Leads has SMS texting campaigns, direct mail marketing, and Driving for Dollars app integrated in a simple to use interface. Click the link below and try Batch Leads today. Cool. What, so what KPIs are you tracking for, let's say like, you know, if you have a project manager for like a transaction coordinator for an assistant, like is there certain metrics that you're looking at? And then what do you hold, what standard do you hold them to? Yeah, so for our project management, we look at our cash in to cash out. Uh, that's the that's the most important one, right? We don't want to just look at the net profit. Um, if you know a fifty thousand dollars that I make in a year, it's not the same as fifty thousand dollars that I make in three months. That's mm -hmm. totally different numbers, right? If I if I buy a property first of the year, right, and I rehab it and I can sell it by let's say end of March. Now I have the same hundred thousand. Let's say it was four hundred thousand dollars. Now I have the same hundred thousand dollars to invest in another project. And if I'm, you know, just like hypothetically, if I'm able to do this, if I were properly lined up April first, I can use the same hundred thousand dollars four times in a year, right? And make two hundred thousand dollars from the hundred thousand, assuming you know fifty thousand dollars profit per property. Now the same hundred thousand dollars, if I put it in a deal on first of the year, I don't sell it until the end of the year, make fifty thousand. You know, my ROI just for the project, it's still 50,000, 100,000. But when you look at annualized return, I've lost the opportunity to make another $150,000 because I wasn't efficient enough, right? Yeah. So for us, the for project management, the most important KPI is once, you know, of course, the ARV makes sense, the rehab numbers make sense. Based on that, our purchase price makes sense. Like the worst mistake we can make in our business is overpay for a property. If you pay $200,000 for a $150,000 property, there's nothing we can do. Absolutely nothing. There's, you know, there's like, we're just basically going to lose money. So for us, the number one thing is make sure we buy it at the right price based on being conservative with our ARV and rehab numbers. But once we've done that, then what we control is in and out. We want to be as efficient as we possibly can. So our goal is 90 days, depending on whatever project it is. If it's an FHA, it's going to be longer. But if it's we're selling turnkey property to another investor, the goal should be 90 days from the time money goes into a project to the money comes out. So this includes getting permits, rehab. You know, sometimes it gets delayed if you buy a property and it's tenant occupied, it may delay it by a month or so because we have to evict the tenant. Um, so, but ideally 90 days from the time money goes into the time money comes out. And then my project manager, she gets compensated as a percentage of the bonus. So the more money we make, the more efficient we are with the money, the more money she makes because we take of our total cost that it goes into a project, we take 1% of that total cost per month as our holding cost on the project. So mm -hmm. that covers marketing, you know, interest cost and other stuff. So we take 1%. So if you make... If the project is $100,000 all in, and let's say we make $50,000, it took us uh, one year to do the project. So $12,000 is coming out of the $50,000 before she gets the percentage. Now, if we did the project in three months, right, only $3,000 is coming out. So she's getting percentage on $47,000 instead of $38,000. Got it. And that's uh, that you said that's 1% of the, the project, cost. Like, project cost. That's the house plus the rehab. Everything. Everything. Got it. Yeah. Total money that we put into that project. I like that. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. Just to I, keep I like it very that. simple. Yeah. Just to keep it very simple. So it, it's like easy number to calculate. Um, and then my, then my project manager, I don't have to tell her, Hey, can we rush up the project? Because then she's doing that because otherwise it's a percentage coming out of her pocket. 
Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah, that's what we're always looking for is exactly the same setup as you do. Ours is set up a little bit differently, um, but I like your structure a lot. Um, what about your transaction coordinator? Do you have anything KPIs that you're looking at there or anything to track? Or Not, I mean, not really. Like we work with the same title companies. It's a pretty straightforward process for us. Like, you know, within recently, like as soon as the document is executed, when we're buying a property, it goes over to a title company. And they already have all the documents. It's a pretty streamlined process for us. Unless there is any title issues, like it's like from the time we sign the contract to the time of the closing date, it, it goes pretty smoothly for us. We've you had said to... Ari... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, so you said Ari simply uh, automatically sends it over to your title company? Yes. Wow. So you can, okay. you can set it up. Like when you're setting up your e-sign, once the, you know, like the initial two people have signed, let's say buyer and seller, then you can put CC as someone. So once they've signed, it automatically goes over to that person. So you don't even have to send it over. So you can do that. Uh, yeah, I mean, we we backed out of, or we didn't back out, but we had to cancel one contract this year because the seller just, you know, there were some title issues with it. But mm-hmm. then our title company would look into that. You know, they already know the process. Uh, so it's it's not... It's not something that we honestly really have to manage. And again, wow. we're doing like 20, 25 deals a year. So it's not like, you know, we have some investors that are doing 20, 25 deals a month uh, yeah. using recent. So for them, it's, it's you know, a bigger challenge that they have to deal with. There's like a lot of moving pieces. Ours is a pretty straightforward business. We're closing on these. We're not wholesaling anything. Yeah, that's where we're at too, is we're doing like right. 20 to 25 a month. Exactly. And yeah, so, so for yeah. you guys, that that becomes a big factor. For us, like doing a couple of deals a month, you know, pretty straightforward unless there's a title issue that's pretty straightforward working with the same title company um, on buy side and sell side. That's awesome. And then for that DocuSign, this is more for my personal, but is uh, is that an additional cost or like, is that come with Assembly? We're going to start sending people that to sign through our No, it's, it's an additional cost, uh, which is okay. like, yeah, it's, uh, I don't know, like depending on the volume, it's anywhere from like 50 cents to a dollar per document that you send out. Okay. Yeah. That might be right. worth it for us. So just to streamline that process, take out one step. Cause I, I think we're paying for DocuSign anyway. So it might be some, I'll, I'll look into that, but that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, if you have any questions, let me know. Yeah. Cool. So Sharada, I'm uh, thinking of the folks who are listening and uh, we have some folks who are a little bit newer to real estate investing. I'm imagining that your first deal, you were probably a lot more organized. It sounds like, but if you could go back to the very first time that you bought a property or one that like just ended up being you kind of just starting to figure things out and that sort of thing, uh, like an inspirational story for our viewers so that they, they don't feel like you're just blowing them out of the water with your knowledge and expertise. (laughs) I walked barefoot for 10 miles to get my first property. No, no, just kidding. Yeah, no, it's honestly, man, I bought my first property August, 2010. My whole thought process was, you know, I did a bunch of research, but you're never going to feel confident, like never, ever going to feel confident. You're never going to go in and say, I mean, that, I'm, like I should say, I would have never felt confident. I'm sure there are other people out there way more confident than I am. I would have never felt 100% confident. My whole thought process was, all right, I'm going to make an offer on this property at such a price where like, there's no way, there's absolutely no way I'm going to lose money. So the first property I bought, August 2010, I still own this property to this day. It's listed was $65,000. I made an offer of $20,000, right? My thought, again, again, this is like 2010, okay? Different times. I made an offer $20,000. My thought process, what's the worst thing that's going to happen is the seller is going to say no and think I'm an idiot. That's all right. My wife already thinks that. I'm cool with that. So I'm going to make an offer of $20,000 and see what the seller comes back with. Dude, I ended up getting their property for like 25, uh, 22,500 or 25,000. I, I don't remember, but it was roughly like 25,000 less, right? I put 10,000 into it. I was all in for 35. I rented, it was a two unit. I rented both units out for about 1,300 combined, roughly. And like, even after I got their property, you know, I got it rehab. I put the property in Craigslist. My mind is going, why would somebody rent from me? Like you have all these doubts. Like why would somebody rent my property? You know, you're just like constantly questioning yourself. 
but it was at a price. I'm like, dude, there's no way I'm going to lose money. It's like, it just, it doesn't make any sense. Like even if, and I'm thinking, even if I overpaid for this property, even if I paid 35,000 more than I should have paid, which is a basically the property is worth zero. If I'm, if somebody is willing to write me a check every month for rent, I don't care. Like I was being very, very, very conservative. Did the same thing with my second property. Then I decided so the second property was a month later, three unit property. Then I sat down with my wife at a Panda Express in downtown Chicago. I said, look, I, I think I'm going to leave my job and go give this a shot full time because the downside is the money that we're investing and being absolutely wrong with what I think I'm doing and I end up losing everything. So the worst case is, all right, we're still young. You know, I lose everything and I can get this job again in a year or two. But the upside is if everything works out, half as good as I'm thinking, it's going to be pretty amazing uh, because the upside was much, much higher than the risk of downside. So that was that was kind of the thought process going into it. But I don't think I was ever like 100% confident. It's like at some point, like you have to just like jump off the cliff and, you know, trust the parachute is going to open. Uh, so that's kind of what I did. I'm like, man, just the numbers make sense. At the end of the day, you know, it kind of goes back to Tony, the initial question you had about my background. It's like everything goes back on like trusting the numbers, right? You still have doubts, but if you trust the numbers, you know, it should it should work out unless you miss something else. If you miss something else, then you want to make sure the next time you make that decision, you factor that in. So it's an ever evolving process. Like you're always trying to get better every day with every decision that you're making. That's what I was going to say too, is like, that's always the advice that, that I give is like, make it make so much sense that you're not going to lose money. The exactly. funniest part is like you said, you said like, you never feel a hundred percent. And I don't think that that many people understand how true that is because even us now we're buying 20 to 25 a month. We still are unsure. We just, yeah. again, we, we run the numbers based on what we do know and we make the best, best yeah. decision we can with the information that we have. Absolutely. Yeah, we're getting two properties under contract today. I dealt with my team. Like, I, I I don't even look at the numbers, but my project manager, Claudia, she tells me she lives like an hour north of me. She tells me, hey, this is what the ARV is. This is, you know, what the, the range our agent gave us. But I'm being conservative. This is what I'm taking. This is what our rehab would be. And based on that, she puts in the calculator. This is what our maximum. I'm like, okay, you know. We haven't lost money on a deal in a long time. So I trust her number that what she's doing uh, is right. But will I ever be, do, do I feel 100% confident? No, but I'm right. just going based on the numbers. And then you just worry about the things that are in your control. Anything outside of that, you can't really do anything about that. Yeah. But I feel like with every deal, you start getting a little bit more confident, but I don't think it ever gets like 100%. But Maybe we'll go from like 80 to 80.2%, then 80.3. You just start feeling a little bit more confident with every deal. Yeah, and the coolest part too is whenever you do so many, like it's okay to lose money because now yeah, you've got exactly. so much. Yeah, exactly. the other ones, you're like, yeah, I could take a little loss now because I made so much money. There's no way I'm going to take that big of a loss. Exactly, because if you had not picked up that property, you would have missed like five other deals mm -hmm. where you made so much money that the one that you lost money on, it doesn't even matter. So it's going to happen. It's just like, if you do enough deals, there's going to be some good deals. There's going to be some bad deals. Like if I look at 50 units, does every single unit cash flow every single month? No. You know, that's why you have enough units where majority of them are going to cash flow. Some are going to be on average and some are going to be below average, but your overall portfolio will perform kind of what you expect overall. But if you look at every single unit, it should cash flow, then you're just going to drive yourself crazy. Why is this unit not cash flowing? Yep. Yeah, that actually brings me to my next question. I think that I heard you say your strategy is to sell your flips to turn key. Did I hear that right? Yeah, so we sell most of the flips that we do now is to other turnkey investors. So I own a property management company also. Um, yeah, so we, uh, I mean, it, it depends on the market. It's a little bit kind of tricky right now. Uh, so the two properties that we got under contract, one of them is going to be a flip your typical retail flip. The other is a two-unit property that we're going to sell to another investor. Mm, okay. And what made you decide to go that route? Was that just because like everybody's asking you because you're in property manager's like, hey, I need some deals. I need some deals. Like, oh, hey, I got this one. I'll sell it to you. 
or like what made you decide to go that strategy as opposed to just retail or you holding them or something different? Yeah, it was like kind of once I started sharing with people what I'm doing, they're like, hey, I want to do this also. Uh, so I was on a Bigger Pockets podcast. So then kind of shared, you know, what I'm sharing with, with you guys. Then people start contacting me. I didn't even know what like turnkey was and how to do it. Like people would say, hey, can you help me buy this? And I'm like, okay. Um, and then okay, that's where the turnkey business started from. And then once we got enough properties, then I'm like, okay, it makes sense for me to have my in-house property management company. Yeah, I mean, I, I love turnkey more than doing retail flip just because it's, you know, we have in-house property management company makes it a little bit easier. Uh, but yeah, we do, depending on the project, you know, like where it makes sense, if it's going to be a good cash flowing property, then we'll keep it as a turnkey. If not, then we'll keep it as a retail flip. Mm. Cool. So I want to ask my one tax accountant question so I can get it off here because I've been wanting to ask it the, oh my God. the, the yeah. entire let time. Have... Yeah, let me, let me get call my accountant. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm having some disagreements with our current tax accountant. Okay. And so we have our S Corp that does of our flipping, right? We're flipping, I don't know, a couple hundred properties a year, let's just say. Well, sometimes the retail flip doesn't end up working out. So we take it off market and then we sell it on land contract. And so what they're doing is they're charging us as if we received all the money instead of like an installment sale, because they said that business is a flipping business. I said, okay, well, let's solve that problem. I'll, we'll open up another company over here and then we'll move it from this one to this company. Like, oh, you can't do that. And well, I was talking to another guy that said, we have not designated what that property is for yet because the calendar year has not ended. And so my question is like, is there a way that you could think of in order to actually have this be an installment sale. So we're only taxed on the money that we receive as opposed yeah. to paying all of the whole flip money. Yeah, that I like I, I have everything pretty simple in I mean you, you guys already know Tony's already done all the digging on me, but I own all my properties in, in separate trust and all the trusts are owned by an LLC and then I'm the uh beneficiary of the or member of the LLC. I have not done S Corp, but what you're saying just off the surface, it doesn't sound right to me. It just, it doesn't sound right to me. Like if it's an installment sale, it might be something to do with the, how you have it structured. Uh, that might have something to do with it, but it doesn't sound right to me. Like to me, if it's an installment sale, you should not have to pay taxes on it. Uh, you know, when like all in one year, but I would, I would talk to like a couple of other accountants. I don't, I mean, I don't practice anymore. It's been a long, long time ago. Thank goodness for that. Uh, but I would, I would check with like a couple of other accounts. It doesn't sound right to me. I would definitely question if my accountant told me that. Let's just put it this way. If my accountant told me that I would go check with a couple of other accountants. Yeah. I think our accountant is getting more conservative the more that we work with them. So, yeah, I think that might be like, it's like, yeah, it's like, oh, you guys are doing like 20, 25 deals a month. So maybe he's trying to do something to like protect you in some way or whatnot, but I would definitely check with a couple of other accountants. Okay. Yes. So, Sharad, you've uh, gotten promoted a lot by some influencers like Ryan Dossie is probably one of the biggest affiliate marketers that you've got that recommends your product to other people. How important has it been to create social media, get on those podcasts like Bigger Pockets, uh, talk to folks who have a, a great following like Ryan Dossie? How much has that improved your business and what percentage does that account for when it comes to your total sales? Oh, yeah, man. I, I've said this to Ryan Dossie uh, several times. Like, I'll be forever grateful to him because it's it's funny. Ryan and I met at a mastermind. We were in the same mastermind. It's funny. I went into that mastermind. This was like 2019. I went into the master, this is like Feb 2019, went into the mastermind, just pretty much made up my mind that I'm going to shut down recently. I was just like, we weren't doing much like, oh, it's just too much work. It's not worth it. That mastermind kind of changed things. And that's where I met Ryan Dossie. And he was like the kind of the first influencer that kind of, you know, I sat down. He was living in San Diego at that time also. So we connected, uh, you know, I sat down. And he's like, yeah, hey, I'm going to promote it to my audience. And that just kind of gave us 
a big, big boost. If that had not happened, most likely like recently would not even exist anymore. So I forever grateful to Ryan Dossie for that. But yeah, man, like social media, it's it's something that's been a very interesting journey. I'm not on any social media. I don't have any Instagram, TikTok, nothing. I just have a Facebook account, you know, because I'm super old school and I just literally have a bookmark on my browser. I click, it just takes me to the Facebook group of recently. I don't do anything. I don't even remember the last time I posted on Facebook. So, but I do understand. I think when I started the company, I was very naive thinking that, hey, I'm just going to create that great product that I have and like people would use it. Like, why would they not use it? You know, it's like when you buy something, like buy a car, you buy the best car based on the review. So kind of, that's the thought process I had. I'm going to just create a product that is going to be so awesome. Why would people not want to use it? Yeah, that's not the case, man. It just, it it doesn't happen like that. I mean, I believe we have the best product on the market, but it's it's interesting in the day of social media, the day and age that we live in, like how important it is to have those relationships to get the backing of the right people. So it's so now we have someone on our team that kind of helps us do that. But yeah, it was initially it wasn't a priority. Um, you know, we're just I was very naive, thinking, all right, I'm just gonna create this product, everything else will take care of itself. But it doesn't work like that. I'm still not active on social media. I don't plan to, you know, but that's someone on our team kind of building those relationships, reaching out and doing, uh, you know, the other activities that they need to do. Yeah, but great question, man. Awesome, thanks. And yeah. then uh, what what percentage of your total business revenue comes from affiliates? Is it a big percentage? Like would, you know, if I was going to go start a CRM company tomorrow, would you be like, hey, it's not going to sell on its own. You're going to have to like yeah. find find Definitely. some people to promote it. What percentage would you say is comes through affiliate marketing? It's a pretty, I don't have the exact number, but I said it's a pretty significant percentage. It's a pretty significant percentage. Um, like I'll, I'll give you another, like we're launching another product for uh, agents like next quarter, right? Our biggest number one marketing strategy is reaching out to other influencers. Hands up. Like that's the, that's the fastest way to scale it's like getting in front of the right people yeah so like we're literally launching another product for agents and then we're going after the influencers in that space can can you give us that uh the code for the agents and stuff too or like can we use the same code that we send out or whatever because obviously like we like our assembly we've worked with a lot of other crms we think it's the best one for investors if we wanted to like say hey other realtors you should use this too yeah. Can we use the same one or is it going to be a different code? It, it, it's going to be a totally different product. Like initially we were going to brand it under Resimply, but just we decided it makes sense not to confuse anyone with kind of what Resimply stands for now. You know, we decided it's going to be a totally different product. So yeah, we, we'll set up like basically same uh, landing pages or affiliate links for the agent side of the business. But yeah, it's, it's like we decided to run as two separate companies. So it's not like you log into Resimply, you go into either agent or investor. It's like Resimply, it's for investors, will always be for investors. The other product is for agents and it'll always be for agents. So it's like built very specific, like Resimply is built just for investors. The other product is built just for agents. That's awesome. So uh, the feds, have said that maybe they'll be dropping interest rates in 2024. Yeah, I saw that yesterday. Yeah. Are you excited for interest rates to go down or indifferent? I don't know, man. Um, like, I'm, I'm like, just, all right, I'm going to take a long route to answer your question. So lately, I've been reading a lot about stoicism. Right? I don't know how much you guys know, but the 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 fundamental principle of stoicism is basically you worry about the things that you control, things that are outside your control. There's nothing you can do. No need to worry about that. So that's the mindset I take. If they do it, if they ask me, what should I do? Yeah, drop the rate, but that's not going to happen. So I don't I don't control that based on what I've been learning and reading from my stoicism studying. It's like, hey, that's outside of my control. Only thing I control is how I deal, what I do on a day-to-day -day basis, how I show up, you know, what, 
what the market is presenting us. And that's kind of what I do. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, I'm, I'm indifferent. If it happens, great. If it doesn't happen, great. You know, like either there's always going to be opportunities out there. You just have to kind of adjust based on what the market is providing you. Awesome. Yeah. If you, uh, if you decide to keep going down the personal development route, I have a really good uh, hub or they do a personal development seminar in LA that I'm really passionate about uh, that I try to get people to go to. So if you decide to, that you want to go to a personal development seminar about why you do what you do and why you don't do the things you'd like to kind of thing. There's one pretty yeah. close. To yeah. You. Send it over to me, man. Now I've been like lately a lot into stoicism. It's like kind of helped me a lot on the personal side, business side. So it's been really <laughs> great for me. What are you, what are you doing for stoicism? Like I know like Ryan holiday has a bunch of books. Are you like reading his books or are you like, is there I'm reading like a his counselor? Book. No, I'm reading his book. I read, uh, Marcus Olavius's meditation. So I read that. Uh, I'm reading Ryan Holiday's books. I mean, it's it's not like it's the same. Basically, there's like three or four core principles of stoicism, right? So it's like applying the same thing, you know, like reminding yourself of the same thing over and over again. Like the biggest one being like you worry about the things that are in your control. Like, for example, let's say, you know, and I talk to my team also. It, it's kind of just helps me in my business and personal side also. So I talked to my team. I said, look, guys, our CS team, it's not in our control whether a user or, or if a user, I should say, it's not in our control whether a user gives us a five-star rating or not, right? The only thing we control is how quickly we get back to them with the right information. That's the only thing we control. That's the only thing we need to worry about. If we give them everything they need, right? They still choose to give us a one-star rating. There's nothing we could have done. Did we do everything we could have con we controlled? Yes. Then things should happen, you know, what we expect. If it doesn't, it's totally fine. It's like losing weight, right? The only thing you control is going to gym and eating healthy. If you do those two things, you will lose weight. It's just, it's just a matter of time. If you're going to gym, eating healthy, and you're not losing weight, either you're not going to gym long enough, not doing the right thing, or what you think is healthy is not healthy. You know, going to McDonald's is not healthy if you think hey, I'm just having my hamburger without uh, cheese on them or having my fries, not having ketchup, you know, uh, but that's that's not healthy. You know, so like you have kind of what the end result you want and then you look at the the activities that go into that. Right. And then you see, OK, the end result, you don't really control. You control the activity. So that's what you focus on day in, day out. Mm. I like that. I feel like uh, sales, we we use very similar, you know, terms like, hey, did you do everything you could do and everything? Yeah, exactly. Yeah the, yeah, the main thing that I would, uh, uh, I wonder though, is I feel like I'm kind of naturally more stoic and I feel like Tony uh, is too, um, where we're kind of like, just again, naturally like that in some ways, obviously some of us learn, but then what I always wonder, like the same thing I asked you one time when I jumped on a Zoom call with you, I'm like, are you happy? Like, uh, do you think that stoicism, like true stoicism produces that happiness? Because it almost feels like you can't get too high. You can't get too happy. You can't get too low either. But man, that medium is a is sometimes like that's where I've kind of forced myself to be in in sales. You know, don't get too hyped because guess what? That deal might fall through. So don't get too excited about it because I've had that happen where I got excited and then it fell through. And also whenever I start to get too low, I'm like, I, I can bring myself up to midline. But then I kind of stay in there where I can't have the highs and lows, which I feel like experience like happiness in life. What, what do you think about that? I don't know, man. I like I don't feel forced. Like I, I just naturally feel that way that, hey, if something good happens, great. Something bad happens, great. Like, like I don't know. I feel like if there's something I could have controlled, then I need to take action on it, right? Let's say if, you know, I have a flight to take and it's, you know, there's a storm, like what good is it going to do if I, you know, scream at the, uh, you know, the flight attendant? Like, is it going to do any good? Like I'm reading Ryan Holiday's book. And he talks about, it's funny, I tried this with my my son yesterday, seven-year-old, and, you know, it was like whining about something. And I said, hey, I understand you're whining, but is it helping? If it is, then keep whining. If not, then why are you whining? I mean, he's seven years old. He's looking at me like, are you crazy? But when you think about it, like, like, it's just such a simple thing. Like, if you really just focus on the, like, in your business, like you said, sales, right? If you just focus on 
the mm-hmm. calls that you're making day in, day out, right? And you're still not getting the results, then you need to look at the call quality, right? Are you asking the right thing? That's where you start tweaking, right? What are the things that you can change that you can control and change? Then it's just a matter of time before you start seeing the results. If you're still not getting the results, then there's something either in the action that you're putting in, the input that you're putting in, or you're putting, you know, input against the wrong thing. Like if, if like there's a concrete wall behind me, like it doesn't matter how many times I punch it, you know, it's not going to fall down so that my input doesn't matter what I'm expecting. It's not physically possible. So like, that's what you have to do. I personally don't feel forced. You know, I feel like content. I feel like liberated. You know, there's some other stoic principles that talk about, you know, don't be overheard complaining, not even to yourself. Like, just imagine like, I mean, it's, it's, these things are much easier said than done, but if you push yourself to the point where you're not even you're not even complaining to yourself about something, right? It just like puts you in a different state of mind where like, hey, I'm just gonna worry about the things that are in my control and then just be content with that. At the end of the day, if I'm going to bed and saying, hey, I did everything I could with what was in my control and what happened outside of it, you know, there's whether it happened in my favor or not, did I do everything I could have? Yes, and great. If not, then I still, you know, feel good about the effort that I put in. I wanted to uh, make a comment on stoicism too, and I, uh, I feel like this is getting pretty long, right near the end where we usually end the podcast. So this is going to get really philosophical. I I do like a lot of the principles of stoicism, and I just have uh, recently developed a little bit of a critique or a criticism for stoicism. Cause I don't think anything that you've mentioned has meant anything that I've disagreed with. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of the sayings that I get from stoicism are ones like this too shall pass. Uh, don't judge it. What you resist persists. Those are all kind of stoic principles. My feelings on it or recently what I've been it kind of clashes with some of the philosophies I've been developing recently. And that's one of predestination where you can't influence the universe in any way. And so being that I've been getting more into manifestation, frequency, vibration, that sort of thing, I think stoic is really, stoicism is really masculine and really objective. And so it doesn't give any wiggle room or any gray area where it's like, A lot of the folks that I've been learning from are like, hey, you can influence the universe with your intention, with your energy. You can change history. You can change your fate. You still have a chance. It just, you just have to believe it's possible. No, I I 100% agree with you, Tony. And you make a really good point. Like it's about, you know, when you're reading something, right? You you have your own life circumstances that are going to influence how you interpret something like I read something, you read something, how you interpret is going to be completely different from how I interpret it, you know, and I'm, what I'm doing is I'm doing, taking the best out of kind of what I read. I'm like, okay, is this benefiting me? Yes. But are there other philosophy or other things that I've read in my life that I can like, you know, mix with this? I 100% believe in manifestation, 100%. Like, but if, because that's something I've seen proof of, but I'm taking the other good things out of, you know, stoicism other principles, you know, and then applying it to my life with a mix of, it's not like, it's not living, you know, like black or white, like there's always going to be a gray area. It's a gray area that my shade of gray is going to be different from, oh man, like we're talking about 50 shades of gray now. My, 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 my shade of gray, it's going to be different from yours, but it makes me happy in kind of the stage that I'm in. I'm going to apply whatever I read in a different way based on my life situation than how you're going to apply it. So yeah, you make a very good valid point there. Awesome. I'm glad. I'm glad that. Yeah, man, that that's, this has been an interesting talk. Like, you know, we went to real estate, stoicism, 50 shades of gray, man. It's got everything. It's, it's, it's a blockbuster movie, you know? Yeah. Okay. Last one here, since we're wrapping it up, Dakota, are you cool with me wrapping it up? Yes, sir. Okay. So our final question, we like to ask all of our guests, this is a deep one. So we'll have another philosophical ending. Um, So I want you to fast forward to the end of your life. Uh, We'll say that you lived until 110. I feel like 
Indian people live longer. So most people, most of the people we've had on the podcast, we've said a hundred, you're going to live to 110. So you fast forward to the end of your life and uh, you have one final message to give. It's your message to the world. So it could be a billboard. It could be a mantra. It could be a paragraph, a sentence. Uh, it could be a saying, something that you think would uh, be a quality message to give back to the world. And people will point at it and go, yeah, Sherrod would have said that for sure. It is your legacy, your legacy message to the world. Uh, what are you what are you saying, Sherrod? Oh, man, that's a deep that's a deep question. Um, I don't know, man, like right now couple of things come to my mind is like a couple of books that have had big influence on my life is like the one thing, um, you know, that's had a huge influence. So I would say like, pick your one thing. It's a long message. We're going to need a big billboard. That's going to be expensive for my kids, man. They're going to hate me. Yeah. So pick a one thing, right? And be better at it than anybody else. And then just Focus on the things that will help you get really, really good at it, better than anybody else. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be a big billboard, man. Sorry, it's not we buy houses, call this number. It's not that kind of a billboard. Awesome. Uh, well, it's been great having you on, Sherrod. If people want to get a hold of you, if our listeners want to get a hold of you, how, how should they do that? Uh, don't go to Instagram. Yeah, just email Sherrod at r-e-s-i-m-p-l-i.com yeah that's the that's the best way and then what final thoughts uh do you want to share with our <laughs> listeners before we get off here yeah just bringing it back to like real estate investing i would say people that are getting started like a couple of things like marketing tends to be the, the biggest thing that people like kind of shy away from they're not like most unsure about i should say i would say just pick a marketing channel. At the end of the day, everything works. Every marketing channel will give you ROI. You'll make money on it. Some will be more, some will be less. But based on given your budget, given your personality, what you by personality, I mean, I don't feel comfortable cold calling myself. So if I would, if I had to do everything on my own, I would not pick cold calling. I would not build SMS. I would pick direct mail. That's just me. I feel comfortable whether that's like sort of inbound, outbound marketing mix. But just pick something that you feel comfortable with that you can stick with long enough, like at least six months and just, and then just take action, just take action. It things will definitely work out if you stick with it long enough. That's the back of the billboard. <laughs> it's a two-sided billboard. Awesome. awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks cool, man, man for thanks. coming on and like, yeah, if you guys do end up doing marketing, then you will need a CRM. Don't use Google sheets or anything like that. Get a CRM. CRM. We have tried several of them. Uh, and so, yeah, we really do like the interface of the CRM. It does like 90% of what we want to do. What I found is I came from the car uh, industry and obviously they got CRMs for days and, you know, in uh, dealerships, but for actual investors, there's not a whole lot of them out there. There's not there's not any of them that do everything that Ari simply does, which I know it's way more than a CRM. Like obviously you got so much other stuff, but I want to highlight just a couple things really quick for, for everybody who's interested in getting it. One of my favorite things is obviously the marketing channels. You have a phone number for the marketing channels that you want. So if it's a bandit sign, it'll literally say bandit sign, press hash to answer call. And that's how you know what that call is, or it'll say direct mail. So, you know, direct mail, and then it automatically inputs that into the CRM. And so then you're going to know where that lead came from, which, again, makes the KPI so much easier, um, which after you find out the back end stuff, which brings me to my next point, which is and it, uh, it records the phone calls, too. So you can go back and re-listen to them. Oh, yeah. Whenever they say that they want to back out or whatever later and they say ah, they were never interested, you can actually send that to your lawyer. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I want to say like Sherrod, like thank you for coming on. But then also I want to like point out that like, dude, you're awesome dude. And like have always helped us out with any questions that we did have. You jumped on zoom calls with us to try to help figure something out for it. You're like super responsive, which I feel like is very, very difficult. Um, especially when you're trying to get something solved, like, you know, other companies that we work with, like, I don't want to name names or anything like that. Just other companies that we use, 
um, will take a week to get back, even though we give them a lot of money too, but you've always been awesome with that. So yeah, thank yeah, you. For us, it, it goes back to when we want to constantly improve, like every day, you know, we want to come in and improve. And the only way we improve is like reaching out to investors like yourself. Hey, what else could we do to, you know, better serve you? So thank you for always giving us your awesome feedback. Yeah. Thank you, man. And uh, yeah, guys, use our code if you're going to uh, sign up for RE Simply. Uh, we definitely always promote them out of any other CRM that we've ever used. They've been the best. So use our code. We'll put it in the link and uh, I'll see you guys on the next one. Cool. Peace. Thank you, guys. Thanks.